0: Welcome to the Raging Rhino Podcast. This is podcast number 155. My name is John. River will flow from scenes unknown. I'll guide you through by the love I'll show. My mother, Ruth, was born on the day before Independence Day, 1940. She passed away the day before Christmas, 2022. There's something oddly symmetrical about that. She was a good mother to me. She had her faults, as all people do. There are many things in retrospect I wish she had done differently. But as I found in my life... At the moment a decision has to be made, you may not know for years if it's the right one, or one you may even instantly regret for the rest of your life. I was an oops baby. My brother and sister were born ten and seven years apart from me, respectively. They were already off to high school and middle school by the time I started kindergarten. By that time, my dad had pretty much checked out of being a dad, except for the times he wanted to yell at us or discipline us for things we may or may not have actually done. Since I couldn't really relate to my dad and his interests, I ended up being a mama's boy by default. My mom nurtured my abilities as best she could. I had an aptitude for learning and breezed through elementary school, She was with me when I won awards for mathematics competitions in elementary school. The first competition, in first grade, I waited for the test to begin. I was so nervous because I had never competed against others before. My mom was standing next to me as I looked at the tables where all the kids would be sitting to to take the test. And without looking at her, I just said, What if I do really bad? My mom pulled me close and said, No matter what happens, always remember, I love you, and I'm proud of you. I came in second. The next time, I came in first, and the time after that. I was two-time All-City Math Champion. I also learned rudimentary cooking skills from her just by being the only one willing to help her in the kitchen. Mom showed me how to put things together, sometimes just trying to figure out how to put a new spin on leftovers. Unfortunately, a lot of times that meant opening prepackaged cans or bags of things. I've since taken that to another level and tried to use fresh ingredients whenever possible. But it all began with her teaching. My dad had some injuries and couldn't work for a while, so... My mom ended up becoming the breadwinner in the family. I was a typical youngest child brat in my youth, but my mom took it in stride, even when I was being a whiny little asshole, because at least I wasn't getting arrested or coming home drunk or high like my siblings. I really just had to not be bad. It was a pretty low bar. I'm sorry to say, it was pretty obvious which child she loved the most. I know as parents, you aren't supposed to have a favorite, and even if you do, you don't ever make it known. My mom didn't do that. I was her favorite. To this day, my brother calls me the golden child, much to the indignation of my wife. She wants to call him out on it, but... I'm waiting for the right time. Thanks to my dad, we had a string of shitty family vehicles throughout my youth. When transportation became unreliable, my mom would take the bus to work downtown. In the summer, I would go with her and walk down to the Alamo or hang out around the river walk during the day and then ride the bus back home with her. When the company moved out near the airport, The bus ride turned into a two-hour trip, so she would be up and out of the house at 6 a.m. to be at work by 8, then leave work around 5 p.m. and be home around 7 before she would cook dinner for the family. My dad really was useless as a cook, as was my sister. When I got old enough, I did the best I could, but it would be many years before I really came into my own. My dad and I had a tumultuous relationship. Nowhere near as bad as he and my brother, but we certainly did not get along. My earliest memory, and I think I mentioned this long, long ago in a previous podcast, was coming home with my mom, and my dad insisting on spanking me with a razor drop because my brother and sister had misbehaved while my mom and I were gone. Okay, just to, let me just repeat that so you'll understand the situation. I was not even in the house when whatever happened, happened. But he had to beat me because of something my siblings did when I wasn't even there. I told you my mom wasn't perfect. After some time arguing with him She acquiesced to my dad, and I took the beating. She held me close, apologizing over and over as we both cried after the undeserved punishment was over. Many years later, I sassed my father after he threatened to get rid of my beloved cat Petey. He beat me, and I ended up on the ground with him kicking me in the stomach. Mom intervened and they had a physical altercation. I went next door to live with my grandmother for a few days. I forever resented my dad. Many years later, in my late teens, my dad and I had it out again. This time, I knocked him to the ground and he mocked me for beating up an old man. I replied, You had no problem beating me up when I was 12 years old. Why should I give a damn about your age now? Not long after that began a stretch of years where my dad and I would not speak to each other. I had to leave the house, so my mom helped me get an apartment and helped me with the rent until I was able to get a steady job and start to pay for myself. A couple of years after that, Gina and I got together. And I started to finally, truly, grow up. My dad and I eventually made some peace. He apologized for saying that I would never amount to anything and said he was proud of who I became. It made both Gina and my mom happy that we reconciled not long before his death. Mom was always taking care of someone. First it was her ailing mother, then it was her ailing husband, then it was her ailing daughter, all of whom passed away within a couple of years of each other. After my sister passed away, I told my mother that she had spent so much time taking care of others that she must spend the rest of her time taking care of herself, getting out and doing the things she hadn't had a chance to do. I look back at my youth, and I despise myself. I was an absolute moron. If it wasn't for my mom and her love for me, I would have certainly spiraled into that same self-destruction as my siblings. My sister died in her late thirties after years of drug and alcohol abuse. My brother somehow is still alive, despite all kinds of substance abuse, poor health choices, multiple heart attacks, and even a recent stroke. Billy Joel sings the song Only the Good Die Young, and my brother is making it absolutely prophetic. I am who I am today because my wife Gina wouldn't put up with my shit and inspired me to be better. But I wouldn't have gotten to Gina if it hadn't been for the love of my mother. As Gina and I went off on our life together, Mom settled into her empty nest and then her life as a widow. We would still see each other regularly at church, but as I walked away from religion after the tumult we dealt with, my contact with my mother became less frequent. Thankfully, she and her sister began to travel together so she was getting out and doing things that I had pleaded for her to do. She also dove into her love of crocheting, making countless dolls, usually giving them to the children at her church. Her biggest accomplishment was an enormous, at least three foot long, crocheted Noah's Ark, complete with two of pretty much every common animal. I think there was like a total of somewhere in the you know, 64 pieces or so. She made dozens, maybe even hundreds of crocheted dolls, animals, balls, Christmas trees, blankets, baby booties. There's a few dozen on her couch she still hadn't given away. And she was a hugger. Even more so in her old age. We'd go to the doctor's office and she would hug all the nurses on the way out the door. One afternoon, at the grocery store, in the produce section, we were walking toward the woman, and who we assumed was her teenage child, who seemed to be having some kind of disagreement. The kid walked away from the woman, who had an absolutely dejected look on her face. My mom walked up to this total stranger and says, You look like you need a hug. The woman, tearing up, said, Yes, ma'am, I do. My mom gave her this big hug, and the woman's spirits instantly lifted. She said, Thank you so much. I needed that. My mom smiled and said, You're welcome, and went back to shopping. As you get older, your memory starts to falter. I turned 50 last year, and I know for sure my memory is nowhere near as good as it was in my youth. I could remember conversations verbatim, much to the consternation of my wife. These days, it's mostly trivial things I forget, but I know it will get worse as time passes. I had seen the same thing happen to my mom. The normal, forgetful things as she was getting older. A few years back, though, we got the first real big memory lapse that caused us to worry. We were celebrating her birthday and meeting her at a nice restaurant out at the Rim in San Antonio that we had taken her to a couple times before. Now, For anyone unfamiliar with San Antonio geography, the Rim Shopping Center is on the far northwest side of town where Interstate 10 crosses Loop 1604. We got to the restaurant and waited in the parking lot for her. She's usually pretty punctual, but she seemed to be running late that day. Just when I started to think that I should call her to make sure she's okay, she called me. She couldn't find the restaurant. After talking with her for a moment, we realized she had driven out to Interstate 35 and 1604. And when she couldn't find the restaurant, she kept on driving and was out in New Braunfels, nearly 35 miles away from where we were supposed to meet. From that point on, We became more cautious and noticed more during conversations. Soon she began to repeat herself. It first became apparent when we would get together on holidays. Over the course of the afternoon and evening, she would tell us the same story two or three times, or ask a question about ourselves we had already answered at length. For instance, she would ask us how our vacation went when we had already showed her pictures earlier in the day that repetition became more pronounced as the years went on. Instead of repeating herself over the course of a day, she would repeat herself over the course of an hour or less. And God forbid you challenge her on her memory. My brother and his wife lived next door to my mom. I began to get periodic calls from my sister-in-law, at her wit's end because of some argument between my mom and my brother about my mom not remembering something or accusing them of something they didn't do. We knew what was happening. This was more than just an old lady losing her memory. This was something far more heartbreaking. The doctor had confirmed... This was dementia, and there was no cure, no treatment, just a steady and inevitable decline. Now, my brother is a racist, misogynist, homophobic, ball of anger directed at the world. At this point in my life, I interact with him solely out of necessity instead of desire because he truly has a poison personality. That being said, as these clashes with my mom got more prevalent, I found sympathy for both sides. One afternoon that stands out to me was calming my mother down after she first had a screaming match with my brother and then, second, being mad at my sister-in-law for calling me to come over. And then, finally, being mad at me for coming over and accusing me of ganging up on her. As she finally got to a point where she would talk to me, she told me the reason why she was so mad was because my brother came into her house while she was sleeping, came into her bedroom and demanded she give him the pillow she was sleeping on because that was his. In addition to this, she claimed my sister-in-law was sneaking into her house and drinking her sodas. My sister-in-law had to be doing this because all of my mom's sodas were missing that she brought from the store just two days ago. It had been nearly two weeks since she and my sister-in-law had gone to the store together. And she didn't buy any sodas. I'll get to those fucking sodas in a second. But you hear such ridiculous things, and you want to try to get her to understand how crazy she sounds. But if you do, she just flies off the handle again. Somewhere in all of this craziness, her car had broken down because she didn't remember to do basic upkeep. And since her condition was getting worse, we decided to take the hit of her ire and prevent her from driving altogether. After that, any time I called a checkup on her, I got the passive-aggressive talk about how she would love to get out of the house, but she can't drive anywhere, so she just stays home all the time and crochets. She would then in the same conversation tell me about all the times her friends would come over and take her out to dinner or go to the movies with her or go to church and then have lunch with friends afterwards and then she would go back to how she never ever leaves the house anymore at all. Shit like that every time I would call for a couple of years after she stopped driving. She wasn't doing any house cleaning, so my sister-in-law, Gina, and I went over there one Saturday afternoon to help clean up the house. And She threw a fit because we tried to throw away a bunch of old containers that she hadn't used in years and had collected a thick layer of dust. She would bark at us, What do you care about how I keep this house? If that's how I want to live, that's my business. I had to talk her down. She had this strange, hoarder-like compulsion about even the most unimportant items and would not let me take them out of the house until I promised they would be donated and given to people who would use them. If my sister-in-law couldn't take her to the store, I would. I made the mistake early on of assuming she knew what she needed to get. But I quickly realized I had to go through her kitchen to be sure she wasn't getting yet another box of those damn pre-made microwave breakfast sandwiches that she seemed to love so damn much to go along with the two already in her freezer. Inevitably, We would get to the soda aisle, and she would grab a case of Cokes. I tried a couple of times to get her to cut back on the sodas. No matter how gently I tried to present it, she would quickly go off onto a roundabout how her doctor told her she could drink as much soda as she wanted to. If I challenged her on that, she would yell at me to get in my car and leave, and she would ride the bus home. Fun times. Even with those altercations, I was still the only one with a remote chance of getting to her. We all knew it was getting to a point where she would either have to have a professional come in to check on her on a regular basis, or put her in a place where she could get the attention she needed. Anyone else tried to talk to her about an in-home nurse coming over periodically to check on her, or, God forbid, taking her to a permanent place of residence other than her home, and she was adamantly against it. I could talk to her and she would agree to it in theory, but of course forget that she did that later on. Her situation got worse. One day, my sister-in-law went to take her to an appointment and realized she was wearing soiled clothes. Yes, literally clothes she had shit in. She realized my mom not only wasn't keeping up with the house cleaning, she wasn't doing laundry. I began researching how to get an elderly parent into a nursing home, wondering how I would ever overcome the resistance to get her the care she needs. Then everything changed. On Sunday, September eleventh, two 2022, I got a call from my sister-in-law. The parishioner who would pick my mom up to take her to church had called to say my mother was not answering her phone. My sister-in-law figured "Ah, she must have slept in told the woman to go on to church, she would take my mom. Unfortunately, when she got over there, she found my mom passed out on the floor of her bedroom. Mom couldn't remember how she got there, or for how long she had been there. EMS was called, but after looking her over, they said she was fine, didn't need to go to the emergency room. However, after they left... My mom told my sister-in-law she wanted to go anyway just to be safe. Since my brother was having some medical issues of his own, I came down to the house and took my mom to the ER. We were there for a few hours while they ran some tests. She was taken to a bed. I sat with her. She was pleasant with the staff, going so far to tell the doctor how beautiful she was even while she told three different stories about how she ended up on the floor that morning. While waiting for the test results, she fell asleep. Not very long. But when she woke up about 15 or 20 minutes later, she was an entirely different person. The doctor she was so sweet to earlier, she now accused, to her face, of killing patients. I was mortified I apologized profusely but the doctor said it was okay because that's what happens with people in her condition they had seen it countless times she would fall asleep and have a dream and when she woke up whatever the dream was about became her reality After getting clearance from the doctor, we left. On the way home, we talked, and I said to her, You know how we've talked in the past that if something bad happened, and you needed permanent care, we would move you to a place. You know this is that time, don't you? She took a deep breath and said, Yeah. I know I need to be someplace where I can get the care I need. I told her I would find a place, and I promised I would take care of the house and her things. She was hungry, so we stopped on the way for her favorite, Whataburger. I took her home and got her settled, and I promised to check on her after work the next day. I went home knowing I would now need to find a nursing home for my mom. Near the end of my shift, the next day, I got another call from my sister-in-law. She had gone over to check on my mom and this time found her slumped over her bed, incoherent and in pain. For the second day in a row, I sat with her in the emergency room. She was able to talk by the time they got her into a bed. They again went through tests. Over the course of the next few hours, as various staff would come to see her, she introduced me as her husband, as my brother, and as her lawyer, of all things. She doesn't have a lawyer. She once again fell asleep, and when she woke up, She told me that she was so happy we got to go to the movies together the day before, and then told me about the wonderful lunch she had earlier that day with Mickey Mouse. The attending physician then came in and stated that she checked out and that I should take her home. He made a very convincing case that she was okay to be at home, and how the hospital was full anyway. And... She may be waiting a long time for a bed to open up. My family and medical professional friends were adamant she needed to be in the hospital, and after talking with my sister-in-law over the phone, the doctor reluctantly capitulated. I went back in to wait with her, and she seemed much more lucid. As we talked, she asked me, Is my memory really getting that bad?" Unable to hold back the tears, I simply said, Mom, a little while ago, you didn't know who I was. Turns out that it was a good thing she was going to be admitted, because my mother had a UTI, which was triggering these episodes. Yeah. How a urinary tract infection affects the elderly brain is so bizarre to me, but my medical professional friends all confirmed it happens. The doctor would have sent her home without proper treatment if I had followed his advice. I was going to stay with her until she got to bed, but the night shift ER nurse advised it might not be until morning. So she gave me her direct number and took mine. She promised to call if anything happened that I needed to come back for and told me to call at any hour if I wanted an update. I went home to eat and sleep. I did call the nurse when I woke up at 3 a.m. And as promised, she took my call and gave me assurances that everything was fine. In the hospital, she would get the treatment she needed. I went back to see my mom the next day who was much more lucid at that point since she had gotten antibiotics for the UTI. She was still all over the place with what happened, but at least she recognized me. My mom only needed to spend the one night in the hospital, but their doctors advised she would need to spend some time at a rehab facility to make sure the UTI fully clears. In the rehab facility, though, she was known by the nurses as a wanderer. They had to get her out of other rooms a few times. When I would visit her, she knew who I was. But during one visit, she told me she was living in a trailer park. And another time... Well, another time she was convinced that she was in the hospital, pregnant with twins. While she went through rehab... I worked with her nurses and social workers to set up a place for her to get 24-hour care. They advised me that with her condition, she would not necessarily need to be in a nursing home with 20 residents for every nurse. Instead, she could go to a personal care home, which is an actual house in a residential neighborhood that has a caregiver that oversees five patients or less, and medical professionals will visit a minimum of twice a week to check on her. At that point, she didn't need round-the-clock medical care per se, just someone to make sure she's eating and not collapsing in her bedroom. So, after visiting several of these places, I chose one with a staff that seemed much more pleasant and invested in their patients than any of the others, One place in particular was downright creepy. My mom went out of rehab and into the personal care home. And we talked about it every time I went to see her at rehab. She stated several times she understood what was happening and why it was happening. She was going to a personal care home. But we're talking about a dementia patient. She forgot it all. She would wake up in the middle of the night and wander around that house, sometimes naked, according to the reports, wondering where she was. Once she got used to the staff, she settled in a little, but I would talk to her and she struggled with her situation. She only remembered falling and being in the hospital about half the time I talked to her. After a couple of months, I think she just gave up. She stopped eating. She wouldn't get out of bed. But every medical professional I talked to sadly confirmed that is the progression of dementia. When I would go to visit her at first, she would ramble. Sometimes it was about things that happened to her when she was a teenager. Sometimes she would say she was just waiting for her husband to pick her up husband who died nearly 20 years before. Once, she was surprised to see me because, according to her, I had been gone for years. In her mind, I had gone out to California and disappeared before getting back into contact with the family several years later. This was actually what one of my cousins did back in the 90s. One day, we were chatting, just having a a nice, pleasant talk. And she paused in the middle of our conversation and stared out the window for about 15, 20 seconds. She looked back at me and said, Do you know my son John and his wife Gina? By this time, I had gotten used to her not remembering who I was, so I replied, I know them very well. Is there a message I can give them? She said, yeah, just tell them I love them and I miss them. Trying my damnedest not to burst into tears, I promised to give that message to myself and my wife. The next time I came into the room, she looked me in the eye and said, and who are you? I had a conversation with her. For the first time, I don't think she understood at any point in my visit As she was talking to her own son. She got progressively weaker when I visited her. I got into the habit of telling her to say hi to Dad if she sees him. and I'm repeating several times that I love her as well as everyone else in the family and her church just in case. The final time I saw her at the personal care home, she was very weak and barely opened her eyes as I talked to her. I couldn't even tell if she understood I was speaking to her until she pulled her arms out from under her blanket and opened them out, wanting me to hug her. A couple of days before Christmas, The visiting nurse called me to let me know my mom was doing worse. She was not responsive, and she could hear fluid in her lungs. She was reporting this to the doctor and was recommending taking her to their facility with fully staffed medical professionals. Knowing how she seemed to me when I saw her last, I agreed to have her taken. They said they would give me an update after transporting her and having tests done. A social worker called and advised that while they were still optimistic her lungs would clear up and she would go back to the personal care home, we should still plan for the worst and asked if we had made funeral plans. Ironically, that was something we had discussed doing with her back in July, but just hadn't done it. So they sent me information to look over during the holiday while she gets treated. I hadn't heard from them about the tests, so after work on December 23rd, I drove out to their facility. She looked horrible. I asked the nurse about her condition, and while she still had that glimmer of hope that she may pull through and go back to that personal care home, the nurse also stated that there was also a likely chance she was near the end. I stayed at her bedside for a while and talked to her. I read her the 23rd Psalm. I I know it sounds trite, but I couldn't think of a better passage. I told her that I love her and how proud I was to be her son. I told her all the family and friends who were praying for her and who loved her. As tears rolled down my cheek, I said to her, Mom, I'm telling you all this because the next thing I need to say is one of the hardest things I've ever had to say in my life. You don't deserve what this disease has done to you. You're in pain and you're suffering. I hate the idea... Of living in a world without you. But if you need to go, then go. Go to God. Go see Dad. I would rather see you leave and your pain end than see you continue to suffer. Tomorrow is Christmas Eve. Gina and I will come by tomorrow morning to see you. But if you're not here, I understand. I love you, Mom. I kissed her forehead and walked out the room. I drove home the evening with Gina and went to bed. I had meant to turn off the sleep mode on my phone so I would hear incoming calls, but I forgot. Just before 7 a.m. on Christmas Eve morning, Gina woke me up and handed me her phone. Since they couldn't reach my phone, they called her. Mr. Nolan, I'm sorry to say your mother has passed. they let us know we could come by to say our farewells. I thanked them and hung up. My mother's gone. My mother died on Christmas Eve. Immediately, a thought came to my mind that I have been clinging to for comfort ever since. In this season of peace, my mother has finally found hers. I called my sister-in-law, who burst into tears. I called my cousin, who had been keeping in touch with me for updates woke him up, but he thanked me for letting him know right away. I called my aunt, who I have now learned I cannot call without having at least a 30-minute conversation, complete with whatever anecdotes she feels applies to the situation. But she did talk about how my mom was a wonderful travel companion and how much she would miss her. My sister-in-law contacted other family members, including my uncle, who also has dementia and didn't remember he had a younger sister. A few hours later, my brother, sister-in-law, Gina, and I met at the facility. My brother, tactless as ever, walked halfway into the room, took a look at my mother's corpse, and sat down in a chair, seemingly indifferent. My sister-in-law, ever the devout Catholic, prayed whatever ritual it is that they do. Meanwhile, Gina was outside doing what she does masterfully, getting the next steps in order. She got everything we needed to do written down, and that made things so much easier. Just add that to the extensive lists of reasons why I love her. Gina, who abhors hospitals to begin with, and dead bodies many times more, had trouble approaching the body, especially since her left eye was slightly open and we couldn't get it to close. We covered the face so Gina could get close and say goodbye. We left the room to talk to the nurses a bit and to each other, mostly just to get my brother out of the room so he would stop making snarky comments. After a few moments to discuss what comes next, my sister-in-law, Gina, and I went back for some final goodbyes. Something just told me that I should be the last to say anything and the last to leave. They said their goodbyes, and I went back to the bedside while they talked behind me. I stood there looking at my mom and I realized, per my mother's wishes, she's going to direct cremation. This will be the last time I see her. I mean, if you believe in the afterlife, which I'm not sure I do, then I'll see her again. But this is the last time I will see her on this earth. I gripped the bed railing tight. I was losing it. Tears poured down my face. I tried desperately to compose myself, but I didn't have a chance. Soon Gina realized what was happening and helped me. My sister-in-law came to my side as well, and I burst into tears. Sobbing uncontrollably. A few minutes and several tissues later, I was able to regain control. Everyone else left the room. I said my final goodbye and walked out the door. The long road of sorting out the estate of the deceased falls to the idiot who agreed to be the executor. I am that idiot. Seriously, avoid being an executor at all costs if you can. In the aftermath, my brother has made an accusation against my mother that makes absolutely no sense to me. I learned a secret about my father that has me questioning whether he kept it from the entire family or if both my parents kept it from the children. My mother left a letter mentioning bank accounts no one knew existed and didn't leave any information anywhere about account numbers or how to access them. Apparently this is a common thing for people from the silent generation, the generation before the baby boomers, who were the children of the people who went through the Depression with habits like hiding valuables and holding on to information from decades ago. I found a box. Big box of letters, bank statements, legal correspondence, and just random shit addressed to my parents, my grandmother, and great grandfather, who was the original owner of the house well over 80 years ago. In fact, some documents are a century old, and one in particular. Dated back to 1908. That was when that Cub Streak began. I have a box full of valueless information and missing vital information, thanks to generations of hoarders. There is one odd thing I learned in all this. It was easier for me to collect on the life insurance policies than it was for me to get her cable disconnected. I called the life insurance company. They confirmed the death with the funeral home and they processed a payout to me in less than 10 minutes. Spectrum fucking cable took hours and had to get a supervisor involved just to agree to stop the cable. I mean, they got it done. But there is no reasonable excuse for the process. So, why am I telling you all this? I mean, other than the catharsis that it is for me to talk about things. Why am I telling you about early signs of dementia? Arguments over soda consumption? And shit-stained clothes? First off, the reason why I'm telling you this is because there is no cure or treatment for dementia. Once it's there, you will see a steady decline in your loved ones. There will be that first time they forget who you are and it will hurt you to your core. The face will not change, but the person you love will disappear, trapped deep within their own mind, never to be whole again. They will be angry for no apparent reason. Their reality will change in an instant. You will have to find every ounce of Patience you can muster and understand that you will be repeating the same information to them multiple times, and each time, to them, it will be brand new. Second, I hope your family doesn't suck as bad as mine. But regardless, death can bring out the worst in people. Fighting over your estate arguing about what items belong to who. The only person who can truly sort out what to do with your estate when you die is you before you die. No one likes to think about death, but if you're not prepared, you're putting your loved ones into all kinds of difficulties. The heartache of your death is compounded by the heartache of your loved ones trying to muddle through the chaos of what you left behind. Think about what you want and make sure it is spelled out so no one can misinterpret your wishes. Do you have certain assets that you want to go to specific people? Put it in writing in your will. Yeah, that means preparing your will and finding some sucker to be the executor. What kind of funeral, if any, do you want? Do you want people to view your corpse before the burial or cremation? Do you want to be buried or cremated? If cremation, what do you want to have done with the ashes? And once you have that figured out, find yourself a funeral home And prepay. Gina and I just did this. We figured since we had to make plans for my mom, we may as well take care of ours at the same time. We also locked in the price because who knows how much more expensive it will be in what we hope will be a couple of decades from now before we die. You want that cost to be paid by the people you leave behind? But even before all of that, you need to make plans just in case you become incapacitated. Make sure you have clear directives on what to do in case something major happens to you. Take my mother's case. What do you do if you begin to show signs of dementia? You need to have someone you trust be your power of attorney to take care of your finances and your property if you no longer have the ability to do so. You need to have someone you trust be your medical power of attorney who can make directives for you according to your wishes. It is vital you do both. I was only medical power of attorney, so I didn't have any control over her property. Luckily. We did think to put my name on her bank account after my dad died so I could at least get her bills paid. But I have heard horror stories from others who can't get their own family members' bills paid because they'd have no access to their finances. Folks, it's not an easy thing to do. I can think of countless other things I'd rather do than make plans in case I die or worse, begin to show signs of dementia. But you see, an eerie feeling came over me as I stood at my mother's bedside that last night of her life. That last night I saw her alive. Her breathing was labored. She was unresponsive. And as I stood there, I realized I had been there before, one step away. You see, a little over 20 years ago, my grandmother was in the hospice bed, unresponsive, with labored breathing, while my mother stood at her bedside, speaking to her. I was behind her, watching it all. Gina and I have no children. I have no progeny to be at my bedside. I have to prepare for the unlucky friend who will need to take care of my final wishes. But don't think that just because you have children yourself that everything will work itself out. You absolutely have to be perfectly clear as to what you want and make preparations Now, don't make your children argue over what you wanted or how they should proceed. Don't leave your family with incomplete information on your estate. Don't put those you leave behind through that kind of anguish. Please, take what I am saying to heart and take action. Make sure you let your loved ones know your final wishes for tomorrow as clearly as you let them know how loved they are today. And next time you send out positivity into the world, whether that be by prayer or doing a good deed or or just hoping for better days to come, do me a favor and think of a little old lady who loved to crochet dolls for children and hug strangers who look sad and be inspired that there are still people out there who want to try to be better and try to make things better for others. Rest in peace, Ruth Nolan. Rest in peace, Mom. This is the Raging Rhino Podcast. You'll hear from me again.